Welcome to Screen Quest, a podcast where a fellowship of film lovers and armchair movie experts plays film roulette and sometimes watches movies about Russian roulette. <laughs> I'm one of your hosts, Chris Waterman from Jacksonville, Florida, joined as always by May Finch, also from Jacksonville. Hi, everyone. And Will Rotondi joining us from Greenville, South Carolina. What, what? How's everyone doing? I am here. <laughs> I was just thinking it's ironic that I didn't make the uh, the flub of Russian roulette, like, you know, watching this uh, this film for our main quest today, which is Deer Hunter. Somehow that sneaked into my brain um, completely uh, apropos of nothing uh, when I made that flub. But anyway, <laughs> on today's episode, we will be talking about uh, the Deer Hunter. Uh, our prompt was Fade to Black, which I realized in the edit that I did not explain what it was, but it essentially is us discussing a uh, final scene in a film that has a lasting impact. Uh, but first, we are going to do a little catching up on what we've been watching, because I know we've all been watching uh, a little bit here and there of both movies and TV. So, May, I will start with you. What have you been watching? Okay, so it's uh, it's been a couple of weeks for me, so I've actually mostly been playing video games, not watching a ton. And I was yeah. racking my brain to think, what have I watched? <laughs> and I realized uh, I, I got into the very niche genre of like short films, as in like 10 minute long films mm -hmm. uh, that are Animal Crossing shorts. There is a channel on YouTube that will tell short stories through, through the format of like Animal Crossing. <laughs> That's very nice. cool. Yeah. It's great. I uh, would highly recommend their time traveling designer short. It's very funny, especially if you've ever played the game, because it's like some meta commentary on on how certain people play the game. Uh, but yeah, the channel that does it is uh, Densley, D-E-N-S-L-E. -E. Uh, would recommend if you're looking for something lighthearted to watch for 10 minutes, which was my mood this week. Excellent. Yeah, the only thing I've seen similar to that was uh, our... Um lovely friends over at rkg uh video um to you know we sometimes uh steal keyword countdown from <laughs> had an animal crossing mystery that they designed um for one of the members of the the channel uh to play over the pandemic so um they went fully remote like everybody with their like job you know job of like content creation so they would do these streams and so i think gav invited rory onto his island and uh like there's like a, a body that's like on the shore. I don't know how they pulled off half the stuff they did in the game, but it's quite the uh, hour long adventure. It's very fun and funny. That's, uh, that's amazing. I, I mean, I would be impressed if they pulled it off without mods, but maybe, maybe. Yeah, I think they did. I, I, I mean, again, I, I don't know much about Animal Crossing. So um, yeah, like our, like what the limitations are, but it looked to be all stuff that you could do like or get in the game, but uh, it was pretty impressive. I need to check so, that out. <laughs> yes, it's called, I think, an Animal Crossing Burger Mystery. I think it's the name of the, uh, oh. maybe I'll link it in, in, in the edit of, uh, of this video, but uh, very cool. Yes, uh, how about you, Will? What have, what have you uh, been watching? A lot. Um, and we talked a little bit before the, well, actually, before we started up the, the pod that I have been like finishing off a bunch of television series that I've been getting into lately. So whether it was wrapping up Obi-Wan, 
uh, wrapping up starting and then subsequently wrapping up very shortly uh, Stranger Things and then finally wrapping up Strange New Worlds which is amazing so that was a lot of fun kind of started into FX's new series The Old Man with Jeff Bridges because that looked interesting so kind of want to see where that goes and for Independence Day I could not not like I couldn't miss the opportunity to go back and watch the classic ID for Will Smith um Jeff Goldblum Bill Pullman uh masterpiece that came out in in my childhood so Independence Day the film was and still is amazing and I will always watch it every year so <laughs> it is a lot of fun I have very fond memories of seeing that in the movie theaters uh uh you know only a couple years after like maybe three years after uh Jurassic Park so it was like where uh, CGI effects were kind of starting to hit their their stride and um that was just so like the the especially like the dog fighting like scenes and things like that were just really really epically cool uh, yep that and like how they designed like the explosions to just wipe out entire cities part of it sort of even felt like a little terminator-esque like when we saw like the nuclear explosion in c2 kind of felt like that watching again for independence day so that was a lot of uh that was a lot of fun to watch that too and compare awesome man yeah i it's been a while since i've watched that i should probably uh maybe at some point maybe next fourth of july if nothing else like uh, <laughs> pop it on usually our fourth movie is is uh jaws just because like it's one of my favorites ever but uh, uh id4 is also a good choice uh, yeah so we um also wrapped up stranger things and uh obi-wan um barry is the other show that we finally like caught up like watched the final few episodes and uh, that that was quite the ride once it got started. I was a little disappointed with the first half of the season. It felt not as Barry esque as I wanted, and then like it like hits the gas the last few episodes and ends on a pretty uh, wild cliffhanger. So um, is that the Bill Hader show? It is. Yeah, okay. it is sort of a dark comedy about a uh, a hitman who basically is a uh, a vet from like the Iraq War. Uh, maybe it was Afghanistan, but he's got like sort of uh, a little bit of PTSD for sure. And like that constant yearning to like do something and, and you know, feel the adrenaline of being in battle. And so he, he harnesses that into being a hitman um, and uh, kind of the where the comedy element comes in is he moves out to California and decides he wants to maybe leave that life behind and become an actor. Um, and he's he's taking a class um, taught by Henry Winkler. Um, and it's just, uh, it's really, really good. Like it has shocking like moments, but it's also very, very funny um, depending on your sense of humor, I guess, but I, I would <laughs> categorize it as, as dark comedy. Um, and he's just phenomenal in it. I mean, Bill Hader is just, uh, he's a wonderful actor. Just, uh, he can do it all. All right. Well, um, let us draw a side quest. Let's see what uh, Lady Luck has in store for us. Give us a little shuffle and we have an immersive experience so um, the immersive experience uh, to remind our listeners is basically choose a uh, film world in which you would want to um, live in basically so if you had to live the rest of your life as a character in a, a movie you've seen um, what would you pick and why uh, last time I believe we had Star Trek speaking of was uh, was the the choice that we picked. 
Diana uh, Troy, all the way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know what? I, I'm going to, I got one. I'm going to say living as a hobbit in the Shire seems like it would be the shit. Like <laughs> the little <laughs> idyllic world. They have several meals a day. Uh, they're, they're sipping on their, their home brews, uh, smoking pipe weed, really just like chilling, doing some farming, super peaceful, like no scandals. looks like a great place, uh, to live, honestly. So that's what I'm going to say. I know that's probably kind of a cop-out answer, but, um, yeah, every time I see the opening of Fellowship of the Ring, I'm like, man, this looks awesome. I think that's great. Although it does beg the question, what would you do if your old wizard friend knocked on the door? And said he had an adventure for you yeah it, i guess it depends on like what kind of hobbit you are right like are you, like because most of them aren't adventurous but you know there's exceptions um me personally like i think it would depend on the uh the quest if it was like uh go steal a bunch of gold from uh from the dragon i'd probably be like nah i'm, I'm good i'm gonna uh, keep smoking this pipe weed and sipping on the ale thank you very much if it was like well the world depends on you doing this thing i'd probably like wouldn't like it but would would uh would accept the quest so you're frodo <laughs> yeah yeah probably more so i fancy myself more of a sam i think frodo is a, a kind of a, a little whiny uh like useless character especially in the film um sam is where it's at sam west <laughs> nice uh, and I've been to like the Hobbits and set New Zealand too, and can confirm it's just as like epic and amazing as it looks in the the films. Uh, would Aww. you guys want to live in the Shire? Oh, definitely. Heck yeah, I would. I'd live be in a I'd be hole. stealing uh, fireworks and <laughs> causing mayhem. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, like, I wonder, like, do Hobbits do anything else besides farm, or is that pretty much like? I mean, I know some of them like run like taverns and things like that, but. This seems to be primarily that they're like farmers, right? Like that's that's where most of them operate. Like, <laughs> unfortunately, no my uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I I think you're about to say the same thing, which is I'm no Tolkien expert. I read the books ages ago, but uh, I would think that it's like farming is probably what they like export, and everything mm -hmm. else is just kind of trying to keep the the village going so like i imagine they have seamstresses and butchers and, and things like that but yeah i think it's probably mostly farming so what would your job be if you were a hobbit then seamstress of course yeah i already do that <laughs> amazing okay yeah well you know it's a fantasy yes uh, so i figured like you know if you could do anything like okay maybe maybe, maybe more of a bard role like you know yeah, entertaining you and telling stories i was like stories. come on <laughs> like you you also play uh music so yeah there you go how about you will what would your job be in the, the land of hobbiton if you uh oh my gosh i would love to brew beer <laughs> that would be it <laughs> no i, I would... think generally just like a low-key why well, all of it would be low-key they don't do it well i guess farming is technically labor intensive but they don't seem to be terribly like energetic so i don't know how intensive the farming would be if so many of them are also doing it so i don't know logically speaking probably the beer route if i could do that but music is also definitely entertaining and something you can do as well so maybe we'll double it up do a couple of things specialize in a couple areas guys let's form a hobbit band oh yeah hey, 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 absolutely <laughs> what would the name of a hobbit band be <laughs> oh 
Yeah, we'll have to I'll have to think on that and come back to it. Second yeah, I, I think it, the what? Second <laughs> something. Second something. Yeah, I mean, second breakfast is an awesome name for uh... right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I think owning a uh, like a tavern slash playhouse would be the shit. Like a little place where you could like put on performances, like but also like serve some food and some drink. Mm-hmm. It seems like a place hobbits would would get down with. Well, very cool. Um, see, I said nothing was coming to my mind, and there we go. It's like, oh, oh this is the, like an obvious one, but great um, answer. Would be cool, cool nonetheless. All right, well, let's go from the happy land of hobbits to the <laughs> dark corners of Pennsylvania and Vietnam, because last week we drew the Deer Hunter for our film for Fade to Black. Uh, I do want to make a quick correction, so. Um, I hadn't seen this since high school. And so at the end of last week's episode, I, I would have swore um, or bet like a hundred dollars that like the final scene of that film was the one shot, like roulette scene at the end. Uh, It turns out that's not the case. So um, I like when I nominated this um, just, you know, did it on false uh, memory, but I kind of like what the actual final scene is even better you know it's obviously not as like a shocking of a thing but um there's my little correction and we'll we'll get into it but i think the, the, the actual final scene's uh more interesting in a lot of ways so uh yeah let's let's do some uh some quick uh plot summary of uh the deer hunter uh so this film uh was released in 1978 uh in december of 1978 it stars robert de niro Christopher Walken, John Cazale at Meryl Streep are probably the, the most recognizable actors and actresses in uh, in the film. It centers around a group of friends. They are, if I'm not mistaken, kind of like nondescript Slavic Americans. Like they don't really say the country they're from, right? Like that's, that's kind of the impression I got from watching the movie. I tried to hone in on that, but uh, who uh, decide to um, volunteer to go fight in Vietnam uh i think and i know that at least the hero character seems to kind of view it as like a, an adventure um there's a, a great little moment where he bumps into a vet in the bar and um is kind of boasting you know um and seems very interested in uh and getting over there to to you know pay his uh, patriotic uh duty uh, what happens is the they're captured and uh, imprisoned and forced to play Russian roulette for the entertainment of their Vietnamese captors, uh, which leads to uh, the death of some of their squad mates. And then um, even though the three friends uh, all make it out alive, they're um, all changed in some profound way or another um, from there. Uh, really like the film focuses on the effects of that uh, sequence and uh, how the characters are dealing with it in their own ways. Uh, Robert De Niro uh, has uh, difficulty readjusting uh, into uh, or reintegrating into civilian life. Christopher Walken goes AWOL um, when we find out later uh, it's to become a professional Russian roulette player. And then the final friend who I'm blanking on his name. So I'm going to pop this Stevie. Thank you. uh, Is uh, you find out, um, you know, has lost uh, both of his legs um, in, in the escape uh, from the prison and is living in the VA hospital currently uh, separated from his uh, wife and uh, really just seems like afraid 
to to go back and to try to to be any kind of uh, husband or family member. Uh, the film climax uh, occurs when De Niro discovers what Christopher Walken's been up to. Uh, Nick is back in Vietnam, sending money back from his winnings playing Russian roulette. Goes back to attempt to to bring him back uh, to the states and uh, is shocked to find that he doesn't really recognize. Uh, so uh, Nick doesn't recognize the De Niro uh, character. And again, I should have had all this up, Michael, uh, Michael Mike, uh, at all, and. Uh, they basically square off in a, in a game of Russian roulette because De Niro thinks that maybe if he sits down and, and takes the place of the opponent, that it'll kind of shock Nick back into uh, maybe going home with him and uh, he can save him. In the final moment, uh, before he pulls the trigger, Nick does recognize Robert De Niro, or at least to some extent, uh, says one shot, which is a uh, sort of thing that happens earlier in the movie. It's a it's a rule that De Niro's character Mike has about hunting deer, where uh, one shot is all you get. Uh, Nick says this, pulls the trigger, and uh, he tragically dies. Um, Mike, help us to save him. The, the film closes, as I found out, <laughs> <laughs> with uh, basically a, a short sequence of a funeral for Nick, uh, as well as um, everyone uh, gathering back at the, the bar, the town bar. Um, and uh, they all basically sing um, God Bless America, Fade to Black. I think that covers most of it, right? I'm doing that kind of off the, the cuff. So uh, we'll start with general impressions and uh, we'll go from there. So um, Will, I, I'm going to switch it up this week. I want to start with your general impressions. This is your first time seeing the film. Uh, what did you make of it, first of all? So I actually, uh, I guess to, I'm trying to feel like, or try to figure out how to explain this. I um, So I didn't really like the film. <laughs> no. Which, is just to apologize up front about that it's uh, okay it really like uh wasn't really my cup of tea uh, even in terms of like war films or like ptsd now granted when the film came out i mean this stuff may not have been as, as talked about back then obviously or uh just based on the um the i guess the feelings about about going to vietnam at the time because wasn't it this was one of the first ones that actually tackled that and it was the first like yeah the this first one okay the antithesis to uh, a film like the green berets uh, which was like uh meant to inspire um and show off wars like this necessary like heroic thing um and uh, the story goes that the Academy Awards when this one best picture John Wayne had to deliver the uh, the statuette and announce the winner and was furious because he uh, uh, was you know um, we'll just say against like the message of, of the movie and subsequent movies that kind of tried to showcase like the horrors of war um, and the, the consequences so but yes continue it it was the first of that uh, that kind of era that where apocalypse now and other stuff kind of followed well in that case that changes my opinion slightly on it <laughs> because anytime <laughs> that somebody tries to do something that bucks the general attitude of anything i think you deserve credit for standing up and trying to to tell a different side of things so for that then i would say the deer hunter definitely has that it should always have that respect for that 
Um, and also just to anybody who is listening to this and, and also thinks my opinion is full of shit, uh, the, uh, the audience score and general critical score for this film are both substantially high. So do not let me deter you from watching this movie. Uh, I just remember watching it and feeling like it was very long. Uh, I didn't really enjoy most of the characters and the few that were there. I don't know. It just... I couldn't really get behind the characters to begin with. And I think that was probably where I struggled the most with feeling any sort mm -hmm. of like um, connection to them or necessarily caring what happened. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't want anybody to go through like the horror of war and end up like that. So that's not what I mean with that either. It was more just the, they seem like a bunch of unhappy people that got stuck in a really crappy situation and then got even more just unhappy after that because of what they had to go through. Um, and so it just, I, I didn't really understand, besides the the commentary on war and the commentary on what it does to people that come back that had to go through something so, so horrific like that, um, I I think that was mostly just where it didn't really connect for me, though, beyond that part. Hey, listen, man, not everything is for everybody. Like, uh, I, I one of the things I can't stand is, like, if somebody offers an opinion that's like a uh, contrarian or they don't like something. And then somebody comes at them and it's like, Oh, you're wrong. Or like, you know, <laughs> dude, it's totally fine. Like, please never apologize for having an opinion on the show about something like um, yeah. diversity of thought is, uh, it, it is one of the many reasons I wanted to do this. Cause I, I figured there would be, you know, a lot of different opinions on uh, the different movies we're going to watch. So um, that's fine. And you're not alone. Like, uh, yeah. I, I remember the, the first time I saw this film, I thought it was uh, overly long. I still think it's a little overly long, particularly in the front end of it. I think most of the interesting stuff kind of happens like after like the middle section, which is, you know, probably the shortest like bit. The only thing I, I have to offer kind of um, to kind of piggyback on what you were saying as far as like, uh, or to comment on what you're saying is um, the town where my dad is from in Pennsylvania is very similar, like, uh, to this one so there's like an authenticity and what you say is like it is true like it's one of those things anytime we go to visit like um I love seeing my my family and stuff up there but there is sort of like this weird sinister undertone to that that town where like the people that are there like don't seem particularly happy it's a very small industrial kind of town and um I think there's an authenticity there that like it's not really pretty to to look at as far as like these characters um but uh mm -hmm. I think it's an astute ob observation you root for them because like it's more out of like human decency than like actually you know like wanting mm -hmm. the, the character to go so I think that's all um fair so far uh May how about really... you oh sorry oh, go ahead yeah. I was just going to say, as a more upbeat note, the the beautiful shots of, of being out in nature, I loved that. And also when they left John behind for a hot minute and tricked him to go take a whiz and then drove off in the car was pretty awesome. So <laughs> I'll leave it with that. <laughs> yeah, it is uh, ironically enough, like they like this, like the shot that's behind you, like that's in Washington state, I guess, like Pennsylvania wasn't like epic enough. So like all the deer hunting stuff was in Washington state and not oh, wow. Pennsylvania, you know, it's supposed to be set there. Cause that's the first thing Marianne and I said, we're like, that's not fucking Pennsylvania, dude. Like <laughs> I've been all over Pennsylvania. There's nothing there. Then we looked it up and I was like, Oh yeah, it's Washington state. That's why. Oh um, man. I digress. Uh, but yeah, may, uh, please. I'd, I'd love to hear what your thoughts are as well. Yeah. So I, I agree with Will on a lot, uh, both with regards to 
the enjoyable qualities of the film and um, the, the the beautiful like setting when they were actually like out hunting and how kind of idyllic it was. I really had trouble getting into the movie until I was already over an hour in. I don't want to make this comparison because I feel like I would be insulting your favorite movie, Chris, but it was rather Godfather-like in that like long intro wedding that like definitely like gave you a lot of interesting context about the characters. But like for what I was I got out of that, it seemed like it could have been maybe like 15 minutes, not an hour. Uh <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it was just kind of long for me. But after that, I thought everything was great. I think the word authentic is a really good word for this movie. Uh, because it it felt very real and raw and well, not particularly enjoyable to watch um it was the the realness that did eventually like captivate me especially with um I guess the start of that first hunting trip because there had been like I don't know a bit of antagonism and tension between a lot of the guys at the wedding especially with regards to like like <laughs> there are women and a bit of jealousy there like I was holding my breath the entire first hunting trip because I was convinced that someone was going to like shoot someone else either accidentally or because they got angry or something like that um and I felt like I was kind of locked in that suspense both in the, the scenes at home in Pennsylvania and uh over in Vietnam of course uh, just because I felt like the the threat of violence was always looming um in an interesting way that I feel um definitely worked with the overall uh I guess like film mechanic of it being a game of Russian roulette. Like I think that's uh, there's the literal Russian roulette, and I think there's also kind of a metaphorical roulette that's happening throughout the whole film. So I like that part. Uh, it just in my in my Venn diagram of films I like, it's enjoyable films and films that I think like do what they set out to do really well. And I would put this strongly in the thing the films that set out to do what they want to do well uh category even if it wasn't enjoyable for me yeah there, it's no mistake that like it's been since high school since i've like watched this um I, you know it's not particularly pleasant it's a tough uh, it's a tough topic you know in general um but i just in terms of like war movies there's something about this one that um I just there's uh, an intense melancholy that I feel for probably like a solid week like after like you know both times after I watch this um and it's not to say like something like Saving Private Ryan like I don't feel that kind of melancholy but like I can watch that like once a year and like I like I enjoy it like it doesn't have the same effect it's not like it's any less harrowing it's just different I guess uh something about the way that like the subject matter is handled um, totally agree again with like the length uh, being per particularly long in the, the the front end I had that feeling on first watch still had that feeling here I think I was willing to like forgive it a little bit the biggest shock that I had the first time though was like how little war there is in this movie that was like a war film like I was expecting this to be something like a platoon or apocalypse now and it's not that like at all it is very much about like the the people and like the town and sort of showing you like the like on the bookends of like what happens like on either side of like you know vietnam right like as, as a conflict and these people going there um and i think that's like one of the things that like uh 
I, I struggle with like when I tell people like if they're you know like thinking about watching it like like on the one hand like uh I'm like well I want you to temper your expectations because like this is not like going to be anything like Platoon or Apocalypse Now. On the other hand, it's like you know I like people to go into stuff and enjoy it like purely. So, um, yeah, I uh, I I really uh, enjoyed the second watch. I think like uh, as far as acting goes, like that's probably one of the strongest qualities like of this film. I think there's just so many memorable performances. Um, just it's incredible, incredible stuff. Even if it is unpleasant to look at, like just um, how amazing everybody is in the film. Um, even like the the you know the town characters that you again see kind of in the the front and, yeah. and the back side of the movie I think are great and some of them I think were amateur um, actors and they do a really really good job uh, selling you know themselves as like this uh, Pennsylvania um, small Pennsylvania town person you know um, John Cazale too his last movie got to give a shout out to that like mm -hmm. uh, he was very very sick with lung cancer um, mm -hmm. and it's like it's so apparent like I like didn't notice the first um, time around but like some of the scenes he, he doesn't look well um, at all but uh, I guess that's it's what he wanted to do like all the way to the end of his life and I think like um, you know uh, really really good performance too he's great at playing pathetic you know <laughs> like you think of like fredo and then this character and if, if you ever watch dog day afternoon like his character is quite pathetic there too like he does like kind of the puppy eyes like better than just about anybody so yeah i i never learned his character's name in this film i just kept thinking <laughs> fredo <laughs> yeah i mean it's really easy to like if once you've seen the first two godfather movies like he, he can't really be anybody else um so his character name is stan Stan. yeah um yeah so cool well let's um i mean primarily our objective here is to talk about uh the final sequence which uh, again established at the top of the show i had completely wrong i just i i remember it being like the one shot boom de niro crying and then cutting to like the credits like i don't know why my brain filtered out everything that came after maybe shock i guess um the first time but um i kind of like where this ended um more like as far as like a discussion point because i think it is such a a powerful um scene so as we kind of established they're at this uh you know uh, funeral and then they roll right to the bar and everyone's very quiet and um, they end by singing God bless America. So um, what did you guys make of the ending? There's a, a palpable awkwardness between Linda and Michael um, mm. that I found like very, very heart wrenching and also touching just because like it's everything with Nick has been very hard for both of them and they also like are very clearly like love and care about each other a lot. And I think that there is this, this tension that even though Nick is, is dead now uh, is going to like continue between them where it's like, they love and care about each other, but they've also both experienced this horrible loss that they both feel kind of guilty about for not maybe, you know, doing as much as they could or not being there at the right times, even though it seemed like, you know, what was going to happen to Nick was just going to happen. Yeah, it's a kind of a weird like survivor guilt in a way that like both of them have, and um, it's, I mean, it's doubly tragic. Uh, tragic, I think, for both of those characters in particular because like De Niro like gets him out of the camp and then goes and fails the second time, and for her to kind of have the hope of like, hey, he's alive after being crushed once and like assuming that he's like 
you know, probably like dead somewhere. And then like to have to kind of endure that loss like a second time is like, yeah, it's rough. Um, yeah, how about you, Will? I thought the song was a really weird choice. I, yeah, it just seems <laughs> so out of place to me. And I thought, who at a funeral is going to sing that? I mean, and I guess to some extent, it was sort of reestablishing, like, we're not trying to completely bash America for what we did um, and be hypercritical of that, you know, trying not to be too one way or the other, um, trying to be more just demonstrating what the horror was that people went through. But uh, if this was the first movie to be that critical about the war, then probably put in there as sort of a way to kind of step back and not say that, you know, we're not, you know, we're not anti-war for what we chose to do. We're just saying that maybe this could have been handled differently or this is what this led to. Um, and so kind of reestablishing like, you know, God bless America and we're we're glad to be part of the U.S., but also, you know, um, let's all remember uh, our buddy who died because of everything that happened. So, so at least that's what I, I kind of, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, so you, no, no, no. So you interpret it basically as like they're uh, like, hey, like we're we're not like anti-USA, like like trying to be reassuring. Is that That's basically what you... It sort of felt like it was trying to be like an uplifting sort of turn to the end. Like we're not completely trying to turn our backs on our country with that, like what happened. We're not trying to be anti-USA, but we're also just really, I don't know. It just seems so weird. I wasn't really sure what else it could have been beyond that. Like, are, are they, they're just, that's just the tune that, that came to mind that was soothing to try and, and say. And then it was just like, well, he's doing it. I think I'm just going to because we're all feeling the same feelings about the loss of our friends so yeah it's I, so I it's saw so it as <laughs> oh, dripping in irony personally yes me too thank yeah. you yeah. Okay. I was yeah. like, uh, <laughs> uh yeah. just because like both for the characters that actually went to vietnam and for those that you know had to kind of hold down the fort and just go like go on with life not knowing if their loved ones were alive or not or what was going on they all must be feeling pretty terrible and cynical about the country and their goals slash mission and all of that. And to me, it felt like an ironic move. I do think it's weird in that it's not super realistic, uh, I think. Uh, but given this film seemed to be, um, you know, wanting to be very real and authentic about the horrors of war, but also kind of anti-war propaganda, I, I, I think it's a purposeful, ironic choice. Mm that's exactly you you nailed exactly like <laughs> how I felt about it was like um and I think that's why I was kind of so excited to see that scene and be like oh this is the actual ending because I, I do think it is um uh it, it's a really nice kind of like final nail in the coffin of like hey in case like you haven't like understood up to this point like um what the film's trying like you know uh kind of not message per se but like what uh, how, how it's affected these people sadly singing god bless america around like uh the table where like everybody is like irrevocably changed and like traumatized in some way like even the people that didn't go to the mm -hmm. war is like it's such a heartbreaking like weird thing it is, and it is weird well like i agree and may like i think like you're correct in that it, it has like this like really strange like quality like it's a little off-putting where you're like huh like um why that but it, i i think it's one of those things that's like um you're meant to probably believe that like the, the 
characters are trying to muster up some like patriotism but there's no heart in any of like you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like and if if not patriotism at least justification for their loss because like that's that's the thing i've seen in like some people i know who are are uh like families of veterans and, and 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 such is like um there's this idea that if you aren't like grateful or appreciative of like the us and america it's kind of like well then what was the point of me or my loved one like you know going and fighting in these horrible circumstances and you know losing parts of themselves or their lives um and i think that's kind of a reflection of that sentiment yeah definitely um i think one of the things like the film probably doesn't do as good of a job at showing and i'm sure it's you know because like this was like things were like winding down or you know had wound down very recently um is uh sort of the treatment of like vets like after like the vietnam war was pretty terrible and it's many parts of the country um you know which uh i think may may have been a bit too much uh for the film so they they kind of take the the road of like everybody in the town celebrates um them as you know heroes like local town heroes and um really wants to to kind of you know not only be respectful but like reverent uh towards them and um i think it would have been a little bit uh tougher if they'd come back and people were spitting on you know michael and um yeah that that might have been a bit too much but uh yeah i uh, anyway. ironically uh I, I i know someone when i was watching the film uh who has worked in a va hospital and was like oh the the, the va hospital in the film looks nicer than the one that we have today <laughs> Yeah, it's probably like the same era equipment and stuff like or it's been yeah. that long since it's been renovated. Like, I mean, honestly, like um, depending on I mean, I've been to several because like I've got a lot of family members that uh, are, are veterans that, um, you know, have used those benefits. But um, some of them are quite nice, like the one in Charleston um, where my grandfather, um, you know, spent his uh, final months was really, really nice. Um, but it was also like i think recently renovated or something like that so um but yeah those those scenes were always like um uh, a little bit tough like to see all the the different vets that are kind of there like together you know what i mean um and just uh the lack of any kind of desire to go back to the home life whether it's michael or um steve is that his name steve stevie yeah. um yeah, yeah like um it's one of those things that's kind of impossible to like fathom. And then like at the end, so kind of like tying it back, like to the end, like seeing them all around the table and it's like sort of this reunion, it doesn't bring any comfort or at least like I didn't get any comfort from it. It's like, everyone's kind of just trying to force themselves to move on with their, their lives. But um, it doesn't, there's not a lot of kinship that I I felt really between anybody except for maybe De Niro and and Meryl Street, but um, yeah. I I do have a question because sure. this was this be, beyond that the singing at the end this is this is my kind of point of confusion. Um, did you really understand why like Michael goes streaking after the wedding? <laughs> um, I I always just kind of took that as like he's really fucked up, like in drunk, and like it's just uh, I don't know something people do sometimes get naked. I mean uh i mean no shame uh, no shame whatsoever but it seems like there is something like 
deeper going on with him and oh, I, yeah. didn't, I didn't get a great sense of what that was i thought maybe it was just him being kind of apprehensive of going off to war even though in some scenes he seems kind of excited to go off to war but i i, I was just kind of confused yeah um i i don't know like i i hadn't really considered it past just like um i, I won't call anybody out by name but in college i had uh certain friends that were known to um uh, disrobe um after a certain amount of uh, alcohol pretty regularly so um maybe it was that but maybe i don't know maybe, there maybe was, like, i don't know the other characters there. were acting like it was odd or unusual for him to do yeah so. especially he's like laying on his back <laughs> <laughs> it was like oh, do you gotta lay on your back and do that man um yeah uh, i i don't know like maybe uh maybe the the sequence um in the like uh, the reception like through him where like the guy doesn't want to engage like the vet that's there and i think it's kind of brilliant like foreshadowing like having that like where they're wanting him to engage with them like really at all and certainly like to tell them a, a, a bit about what's waiting for him and the, i don't think he says a word right the, the vet like does not yeah. talk that entire he's clearly haunted and that is sort of <laughs> what becomes of uh, everyone that like you know survives to the end of the movie um, I think he does say one thing and it's like fucked or something like that. Like, yeah, that's right. No, yeah. Right. Uh, it is also right after he has kind of a like almost something with Linda. So maybe he's just trying to cope with those feelings. I don't know. But it is, it was interesting that the one character who seemed to be kind of having a rough time before the war ended up handling it, I guess, kind of the best mentally, at least. Um, yeah considering especially like because i think yeah. like he's the one that probably goes through like like the most you know of all of them like or has to deal with like most directly with a lot of the stuff like um they also kind of show him to be like a planner right and like he, he seems to be <sighs> what's the word i'm looking for like the most meticulous um grounded you know out of like the group right like just like uh, the way that he hunts the like the way that he lives his life um he seems to be the most prepared and, I, and like i think it's implied right that he's like special forces like in the vietnam like section when they stumble across him like he's he's separate mm. from the rest of what the, the the men are like they're kind of like grunts and he's i hadn't picked up on that yeah yeah but yeah interesting um so why was yeah. that there at the uh at the wedding anyway did they establish that or did he, did he just show up for a drink uh i don't think they do establish it um again having some context of like a similar town in pennsylvania it might just be that the town's small enough that like if whenever there's like a, a wedding or something like that like there's not even like invitations that go out it's just like this is a hey, thing that's happening <laughs> yeah i mean seriously when my grandparents renewed their uh their vows for their 50th like in that pennsylvania oh. town they held it at like a firehouse like that's like where the uh like reception was and uh like legit everybody and it's that small of a town uh it's a one traffic light town like just showed up like and that was just kind of i'm sure there were some strangers there and there but like there wasn't a high enough concentration of them like for anyone to really like notice or care probably so more importantly, did anyone get to use the fire pole? Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, not that I saw, but uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. I mean, again, like I would say, like the similarities are pretty striking in a lot of ways. Like I wouldn't be surprised if somebody did. And um, then went streaking, and then yeah, that's <laughs> very po that's very possible as well. Yeah, <laughs> nice. 
absolutely yeah um well anything anybody wants to add about um the ending of deer hunter or like deer the deer hunter in general um anything that was like that struck you um about the movies or particular standout scenes um it's okay if this is like a bit of a shorter one you know i think kind of like doing the scene analysis like this kind of lends itself to being a bit more like truncated i think so i do have a quick question um so in terms of authenticity was the so the hype over doing the russian roulette um and i read a little bit beforehand so i could be wrong about this but wasn't that supposed to be like overly like that wasn't really a big thing like there... <laughs> what, what i gleaned is that like it's something that was um maybe he heard like a story about it and then kind of took that and like just presented it as something like you know that like happened mm-hmm. i think like where i more or less landed on it is like it's a you know it's an interesting plot device um you know kind of sets it apart in that regard but i don't think that's something that was very like common you know what i mean like I, culturally i'm not sure like outside of like the war but like i don't think that that was a very common thing you heard a lot about a lot of other stuff that's was common as far as like you know like uh, pow stories uh, bamboo shoots and whatnot things like that that stuff i know is all like pretty um well documented but this i i think like it's pretty much been debunked as like maybe it did happen like once or twice here or there but yeah so i think a lot terms of, of like oh sorry go ahead no you're fine I was, I was just gonna say i think a lot of the stuff that like the portrayals of like that's one of the biggest criticisms at the time and still like it's a very one-dimensional look at like the vietnamese like people um mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's really meant i think you're meant to pretty much stay with these characters and kind of what they see and experience is like their their takeaways which kind of has to be yours as like the audience i guess you know like mm-hmm. i think it's less about trying to see uh both sides of it and more just like hey this is what these people go through and this is what they're what they've um taken back with them right sort okay. of like the cruelty the cruelty of this place but yeah is that like both in terms of like the actual like torture being used as torture if you were captured or was this also in the sense of like this is like an underground game ring that we do for fun and money yeah. and betting outside of torture <laughs> i can't speak like i said i can't speak to that. i i know that as far as like the pow stuff like it's not mm-hmm. something that was very common I can't imagine like culturally it would be a common thing either. But again, I, I don't know like enough yeah. to say like for sure. No, it seems like okay. something that again, that's more of a plot device than anything else, like to kind yeah. of give it a, an, an otherworldly, like weird, you know, quality. Um, just in, in, yeah. again, like I know interesting is not the best word, but like unique um, thing to kind of toss in there to, to kind of, you know, drive the plot for. I mean, it's effective, right? Mm-hmm. Like I think uh, in both the POW scenes and sort of like where Nick ends up, um, yeah that's definitely true because that like that to me was like the most stressful part of the film was a when they were all in the hut together and how are they going to get out and then when that became like the thing to do at the very end i'm like okay so who's gonna bite it you know but even before that when they go on the second hunting trip and i'm like all right so michael's back and he's going through his stuff and i'm like stan always talks about or everybody jokes about stan always having that little gun that he carries around with him and i'm just like oh geez somebody's gonna shoot somebody <laughs> and then when michael like has that moment where he kind of almost loses it you know and it's like uh this was, and i thought that was where it was gonna go and then it thankfully didn't go where i thought it was gonna go after that but it could have though he there was yeah. a live there's a live round uh, in there and i don't think mm-hmm. he checked to see <laughs> if it was 
I think he kind of just in a moment of sort of anger um, and yeah. wanting to maybe rub somebody's face and like what he's been through, just pulls the yeah. trigger and hopes for the bets, you know? Um, yeah, man. That That's a really tough scene. I mean, there's a lot of tough scenes in that, but yeah, that's, that's hard because again, John Cazale great at being uh pathetic, you know, and uh, like he's, he's not intentionally trying to, um, stir up you know the the ptsd like he has no context it's not like de niro's like sat there and told them what he's been through mm-hmm. um and you know he sort of um almost punished like you know pays for with his life you know some some insensitivity yeah uh yeah just like a little bit of interesting history on the roulette thing uh during the academy like awards uh 13 members of uh, the like vietnam veterans against the war group uh, like protested how inaccurate the the scene in the movies were uh, and they definitely came under fire for being kind of like racist in their depictions of the Vietnamese um, so like that's all important to consider it definitely does read to me as more of a metaphorical plot device uh, but because it is a movie that tries to like strive for authenticity I do think that gets kind of murky you know um, sure but like, yeah, as a plot device, it, it does feel like the whole way the, the film is structured kind of mirrors the game. Um, if you think about the scene where uh, Michael's insisting that they need three bullets, you can also think about their friend group and the fact that it was the three of them out of the six people in their friend group that, you know, got randomly, you know, chosen to go over there, right? So were uh, they drafted or did, did they volunteer? Like, because that's something that like I wasn't clear on. I thought it was like that they had volunteered or like that you're supposed to assume that they had volunteered, but I could be completely like wrong on that. I, I'm curious I of what you're taking. I think know. what you're saying is more interesting <laughs> if they were, if they were, you know, drafted, but um, versus volunteering as far as like, you know, the symbolism of the three bullets, but I, I'm sorry to cut you off. Go ahead. I don't know. To me, the the film didn't say one way or the other, so I'm choosing yeah. to interpret they. Uh, I love know, it. Got, <laughs> got drafted, especially since one of them had their wedding right beforehand, and like maybe that was just poor planning. Could be, but <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't know. It just like it definitely feels like a theme that like comes up through how the actual movie itself is is structured. Um, but. Yeah, interesting, interesting choice. Doesn't necessarily work, I think, exactly as they intended. Um, and is definitely problematic in some ways. Yeah, I mean, I like I totally understand um, you know, the the criticisms around sort of the portrayal like of the Vietnamese people. I think like all that stuff's super valid. Um, again, like intention-wise, like I don't really know if the intent was to try to be like, you know, to um have any sort of uh context like i think really like uh director seems to want you to be like like i said firmly like in the 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 seat of these characters and the the russian roulette's kind of supposed to be a way of like well this is your perception would be that these are like cruel terrible people if like that that was your primary experience right and then i think like kind of having the echoes of that uh being like the civilian parts of the country is just a convenient plot device, a way of basically like um, showing somebody running back towards like probably the most scared and horrified they've been in their life um, as a way of coping ironically, like with that, like to, to like re-experience it over and over again, which is interesting. I think it's interesting. I, I, they have that like rich capitalists of unknown origin who is actually running the, the Russian roulette underground. 
Mm-hmm. It's implied, I think he's supposed to be like a holdover from the French occupation of yeah, uh, Viet, you know, uh, Vietnam, like the French colonials. Um, yeah, that is uh, that's definitely an, an interesting choice. Um, before we move on, I, I guess I could ask, like, why do you think Nick goes like why cope that way? Do, do you think like he wants to die and like he knows like it's just like a a way like a profitable way to commit suicide? Is it like is it just like some sort of cognitive break? Like, what do you think that's all about? I don't think there's logic to it. I mean, he's clearly mentally not healthy, no, right? Yeah. Especially when, especially when Michael actually comes up to him and sees him, uh, and he goes into kind of a daze when he's asked about his his family and stuff. So I think he's definitely dealing with a lot of trauma and like some psychiatric issues, likely. And uh, it's it's hard to say when you're in that kind of a, a headspace what becomes logical and illogical. Um, it didn't make perfect sense to me, but it also is like, it's one of those times where it seems like the thing happened less because it was true to the character more just because it was necessary for the plot. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I, I, like I, I grapple, uh, I had a hard time grappling with like, like the motivations there. And I think I settled kind of on what you said, where it's just like, he's not, well, especially where you see him at the end, like uh, it's almost like something that's just become sort of routine. Like he doesn't, he seems just vaguely human. Um, like his interactions, you know what I mean? Like he seems to very much be going through the, the motions, but then part of me is like, he's sending the money back specifically to Stevie. So like there, there is a part of him that still um, remembers and recognizes like home and is like trying to, to do that. You know, I think it's like his way of like, maybe trying to make up for the fact that stevie's like physically maimed and like you know um i have to ask he's... how he knows that though right because like yeah. i don't think he's seen stevie since they all got separated yeah oh I mean, that's right yeah because like um he sees him drop out of the helicopter but he doesn't even know that he broke his legs i mean that's something yeah. that de niro gets him back like separately right from that so yeah it's a good question i don't know <laughs> i don't know uh yeah um interesting uh any uh any final thoughts to add will unless maybe it's somehow like a competition thing between him and michael like we always got the the sense there was a little competition there uh knowingly like known competition i guess uh that nick picks up on from linda and michael together beforehand um i can't remember what they said when they had their heart to heart when michael's ha- uh, is naked and has a blanket that Nick gives to him and they have a little chat about you know like sticking it out together and how Michael really cares about Nick is like like his best friend right like he he Mm. wants Nick to be there more than anybody when he goes hunting um and so I don't know maybe there's just a little bit of like competition there between the two that just gets exacerbated by the the torture sequence when they're both like all right it's it's one of the or it feels like it's one of one of the other and you know not really sure what michael's plan how michael's plan is actually going to work out in the heat of the moment and just feeling like it was easier to detach from everything else after that and that was just sort of where he went or I don't I yeah that's that's the most I can try and glean from that but it it did seem very strange that it was like something just snapped in Nick's brain and he was like this is this is where I'm gonna go now this is the the path I'm gonna choose 
you did jog one thing uh loose um it is implied that nick might be the actual father of um oh the character that's pregnant the bride um stevie's oh so you could interpret the money as like you know like he's taking ownership uh in some way of like you know his his child um again it's not confirmed but it's heavily implied that like that uh because we know it's not Stevie. He's like, I never did it with her. Like, um, mm-hmm. so he's he's basically trying to spare her uh, shame, uh, presumably um, by marrying her. But yeah, it's true. Because doesn't Nick say something to Stevie about like it's okay, don't worry about it. Like it's <laughs> what I guess it was sort of the extent of don't worry about it. She'll take care of it. It's her problem. <laughs> like it was like yeah, great, thanks, Nick. <laughs> You're upstart kind of guy going off that brings, that brings us back it. to your original complaint of like not a, a lot of like nice people no. <laughs> friend group no. um yeah i did think it was interesting i didn't see the typical christopher walken speech pattern in uh on display on this so i wasn't sure if that was like something that he affected later in his acting career or if that was just sort of like i don't know did that just not show itself in this cut of the film i haven't seen so much of young christopher walken to really know what to compare that to i just know of all the what everybody likes to joke and and like make fun of that that i just i thought watching that that was something that stood out to me i thought oh this is not really it's not the cadence that i expected from from his speech yeah i look i know he's persona non grata uh with good reason but um in woody allen's annie hall there's a great scene where Christopher Walken is like, I think he's sitting on a bed and Woody Allen wanders in and he's like, um, what are you doing, bud? And they, he launches into this speech about like this strong desire that he feels sometimes to like, just like jerk the steering wheel of this car, like into another like oncoming like car. Alvy. Hi, Dwayne. How's it going? This is my room. Oh yeah, it's terrific. <clears throat> Can I confess something? I tell you this because, as an artist, I think you'll understand. Sometimes when I'm driving on the road at night, I see two headlights coming toward me. Fast, I have this sudden impulse to turn the wheel quickly, head on into the oncoming car. I can anticipate the explosion, the sound of shattering glass, the flames rising out of the flowing gasoline. Right. Well, I have to, I have to go now, Dwayne, because I, I'm due back on the planet Earth. And uh, there's actually, I think, like a French word for that, but like uh, that means like the call of the void or something like that. But like um, he very much has the speech pattern there, like where like I, it's mm. a little bit more noticeable. Um, I, I don't know. Like, I'd have to like go back and kind of watch like, and of course, maybe like with age and like as it became a thing, people talked about more, maybe like it got more pronounced, you know, who knows? Like yeah. Jeff Goldblum has admitted that like his Goldblum isms um it is very much an affectation at this point because it's you know something that's like impossible to escape people do impressions all the time and he's kind of just embraced it so okay but yes the flandersization or whatever you call it (laughs) yeah yeah exactly but yeah let's uh, let's play some pitch storm shall we let's do it uh, 
Yeah. In the interest of time, uh, you want to just keep it to like uh, to one round like today. Um, we can do it. And that'll be yeah, super we'll just, easy. Well, yeah. I think. We'll just... <laughs> so I also want to throw out a, a big thank you again, as always, to Ben Kepner for allowing us to borrow slash promote his game Pitchstorm as it has been both entertaining and enlightening as to what films either of you would come up with if you had substantial <laughs> capital with which to do it in just 60 seconds let's let's add that <laughs> very yep. important caveat there that is true <laughs> all right so chris how about we have you go first this time since you chose the movie Roger. Uh, uh, this time I'm going to say I want choice over a character. So you can give me a plot and I'll choose from a selection of characters. So your character options are a dog just trying to rescue his boy, a clumsy but lovable waitress, a young superhero just discovering their powers. I am going to do the dog trying to rescue. Uh, his boy a dog just trying to rescue his boy battles addiction to prescription drugs <laughs> oh my god no all right <laughs> so we are going to have uh a classic homeward bound like voice acting kind of thing and in the part of the dog uh we're going to cast angelica houston i don't know why <laughs> just first name that came to my mind anyway Angelica Houston, the dog, is uh, hooked on prescription drugs, which is a big problem because her master is down at the bottom of a well. Um, and she's not really real interested in uh, rescuing the boy. So uh, she realizes that she's going to have to quit cold turkey in order to get her drugged out dog butt off of the couch. That's all right. Uh, all right. We, lo we love it. We love it. But what if, hear me out, we actually split this movie into three movies. Oh, Christ. What would All part right. two look like? All right. So this movie is going to take place in real time, uh, which means that like you got to watch uh, Angelica Houston, the dog, get real sick uh, and struggle for like a good hour and a half. Uh, then you, part two is going to be she runs to find help. And uh, part three is going to be she actually ends up rescuing the boy uh, and okay. kicking the drug habit so solid rescue oh man, that's tough dude oh man excellent Awful. i love Awful. the real time <laughs> thing i got 24 vibes from that like bing bing <laughs> yeah bing. the little clock yeah i yeah, got deer walker vibes <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> we're gonna include a wedding at the beginning it's gonna go for about an hour <laughs> just say yeah yeah noise oh not my best work buddy um that's tough hey it's all right can't be perfect every time no <laughs> All right, May. Uh, I would like the same deal. Uh, <laughs> give me some character options. Your character options are the world's most adorable kitten. Okay. A crocodile hunter who knows nothing about the big city. <laughs> or an astronomer that thinks they've made contact with aliens. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's too good to be true right there. I'm getting some vibes from Give, uh, give me the astronomer. Noise. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> this is excellent. Okay. An astronomer that thinks they've made contact with aliens incites a rebellion in an oppressed insane asylum. 
Yes. <laughs> okay, so opening scene. You see a wide desert plain, stars above, and uh, a Ford Bronco comes speeding into the scene, <laughs> driven by none other than Jodie Foster. Jodie is uh, just, just, you know, going, racing down this dirt road uh, with like a dozen police cars following her. And you see from the sky above, a shining light begin to descend. Uh, coming down right on top of an asylum that Jody is racing towards to prevent the Okay, all right. <laughs> How about let's add a crazy helicopter chase right at the start of the movie? Did I say Ford Bronco? I meant helicopter. <laughs> 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 <a> helicopter. <laughs> racing through the desert, piloted by Jody Foster, heading towards this mental hospital where uh her 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 son uh john is is uh <laughs> residing and she is there to stop the aliens from stealing john because john mm -hmm. is the only one that can find mm -hmm. them in the great galactic war to come <laughs> nice uh, love that's it. all i got <laughs> solid all right like may with what you had to work with on that I think I gotta hand it. I gotta give it to you on that one. I mean, like I that. Give it to me hands too. Down, Absolutely, yeah. That was that was dope. So Thank I'm, you. I'm just gonna. Yep. Amazing. Well done. Yep. <laughs> oh, Excellent. Well, thank you both for humoring me with a round of that, and also for humoring our listeners. Absolutely. Hopefully, you got some some chuckles uh, out of those insane movie plots, <laughs> as always. Well, now I want to like see what a bronco helicopter would look like <laughs> <laughs> a ford bronco helicopter uh my first thought is probably bulky like that's yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> extended cab <laughs> uh, uh, tan and white hopefully as well like which is why I always, when i think of broncos like that color scheme always comes into mind but yeah i always think of the the kind of like pastelli blue really yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a, certainly a prettier uh, color than what I just <laughs> what I just said. But well, sweet. Let's uh, let's go ahead and draw us a main quest and skedaddle. Oh, I think that's a second from the yeah. <laughs> yeah. <Yep>. Uh, <laughs> that was Alrighty. your timer. <laughs> yep, that was. He was like, "Get on with it, fool!" All right, and a shuffle, shuffle, shuffle. We go. And it is a bullet time. Let's see if I manage to dodge this bullet time here. Do it, Let's Neo. See. All right. It is a Will Rotondi pick. What? The film is The Gift. And oh, yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So we'll be analyzing a specific scene in The Gift. Do you want to? Um, set us up or shall we wait until next episode oh yeah annie's vision of jessica at school is what we have yes. listed here in our doc so i'm excited because i've never never seen this this is based on the lewis lowry um book is that right that is uh so i think you're thinking of the giver is that right oh yeah yeah right so yeah. what is the gift so the gift is uh uh a film uh it's a sam raimi like it's got Kate blanchett who i love who plays a woman who does tarot reading as her job it's set in the south it feels like you were in the south uh 
it's about her getting these visions that help her tell people what the you know how she guides people on what choices they should and shouldn't make and what their future holds based on that and then one of the people that she advises ends up dead and so you know it's or one of the people that she's connected to ends up dead and so there's suspicion about what's going on with that and you know what she knows and how it all ties together in this kind of twisty sort of oh gothic gothic horror there we go jeez oh. it's a gothic uh, southern gothic horror um hey, sam raimi I like style that genre. yeah with like the, I, well the you typicals. said sam raimi and i'm like say no more like i'm, I'm yeah in. yeah with like the typical sort of jump scary sort of like uh look like that's very typical of his work like you watch and you think yeah that's like there you might be waiting a little bit for it and then you see it and you're like okay yeah this is definitely this is Sam Raimi with sort of the 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 style of what they use and the effects that they use in it so yeah it was great well I'm I'm looking forward to it uh it seems like it'll be a a, I mean like everything you've used to describe it um it sounds like my kind of uh, film on paper anyway so I'm looking forward to it Excellent. I do want to do a little minor plug-in to anybody who wants another good recommendation for a podcast uh, that I listened to recently. Um, sure. If I could throw that out there. If not, it's yeah. cool. If there's no, by all means, man. Absolutely. Uh, but for those who might need a little bit more happiness in their life, uh, I know that Ted Lasso has been a big source of you know feel-good optimism uh, these days. And the guy who plays Roy Kent and it has a podcast uh, called Films to be Buried With that I recently started listening to, and I have really enjoyed it. So if either of you need another recommendation, if our viewers need a listeners, I should say, slash potential YouTube viewers uh, would like a recommendation, I wholeheartedly would throw that out there. So very cool. It's, I think his name's like Brett Goldstein or something like that, right? Is that correct? Right? Yep. Brett Goldstein and his Films to be Buried With. Well, that brings us to the end of another uh, episode. We appreciate you sticking uh, through. As always, uh, please give us a like, share, and subscribe, especially that share part. Again, I say it every week, but it's true every week. It's really the best way to help us grow the show. It means a lot to us when you do that. So throw it out, Facebook, Twitter, if you like the show, um, let, let other people know. We, we really do appreciate that. And until next week, we love you. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye.